we're dealing with a major power broker in Ottawa. The biggest power broker there is in Canada is not the public, it's the bureaucracy. I am a husband, a father, a lawyer, a Christian, and a proud Canadian. I started this series because it was clear that our nation needs truth. Not just another biased narrative, but real information of substance. We need access to facts and the freedom to think for ourselves. I'm Leighton Gray, and this is Gray Matter. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Gray Matter. I think you're going to find this is a very intriguing show. Most people love a, a good whistleblower story, and this is one that uh, I think very few people have heard about. I know that I hadn't. And uh, we have a man named Gordon Knight on today who is going to spill all the tea. But first, a few, by way of preamble and introduction, a few questions. Um, who decides which products can be sold in the United States? The government of Canada, that's who. Does that surprise you? It certainly surprised me. Uh, but uh, you can't be blamed for not knowing. Canada has been suppressing news on all of this, even banning an explosive book exposing the whole sordid tale. More on that in a minute. The U.S. government actually outsourced its control of product safety and importation to another government in a foreign country. In this case, Canada. That's bad enough, but it gets worse when you see what kind of a job they're doing of it. In fact, no job at all. So our guest today is a man named Gordon Knight. Uh, Mr. Knight, thank you very much for being part of, of Grey Matter today. It's really great to have you on the program. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here, ladies and gentlemen. In Texas right now, but I understand you're based in Canada still, and that's fantastic. My heart is still with you folks, but as a result of all these issues that we're going to discuss today, I'm actually exiled into the United States myself. Yes, and uh, I'm really excited to get into that and tell the whole story and talk more about Deep Six Diaries, which uh, I just finished reading last week. It's this, the true story of one little guy trying to defend himself, his business, and his elderly father from bullying bureaucrats and government criminality. So um, before we dive into that, what we uh, always do here uh, is um, frame the discussion with a few opening aphorisms. The first of these is from another whistleblower, a famous one named Julian Assange. He once wrote, every time we witness an injustice and do not act, we train our character to be passive in its presence and thereby eventually lose all ability to defend ourselves and those we love. Second one, from another famous whistleblower, Edward Snowden, who wrote, when exposing a crime is treated as committing a crime, you are being ruled by criminals. And finally, from uh, not a whistleblower, but somebody who did a lot of important writing, especially in the constitutional vein, uh, Thomas Jefferson, who wrote that all tyranny needs to gain a foothold is for people of good conscience to remain silent. So with that, we have Gordon Knight on the program. Gordon, I wonder if you could, before you dive into the book and tell us about it, I wonder if you wouldn't mind telling us a little bit about your, your background and how you sort of got pulled into this uh, vortex of intrigue. Well, I, it wasn't planned, I can tell you, Leighton. My background is, uh, well, my back up a second. My company that sort of started all this thing is a publishing company. We're a very small outfit. Uh, small, usually I am the employee. That's the kind of size we're talking about. We publish electrical guidebooks, the sort of thing that you'd uh, buy at Home Depot or Home Hardware in Canada. And we only publish in the Canadian market. And lately, we've been doing that for about half a century. So we're very well established. 
My father started that business, and be frank with you, I have no interest in the business growing up. I wasn't going to do this, but as my father hit 80, he wanted a retirement, and being a trying to be a good son, at least, I, I, I would step in and take it over. And within about a year of my taking that over, that's when this whole thing that we're going to be discussing sort of started to roll out. So what actually happened here, Leighton, is that uh, as a guy with, with no background in electrical and no background in publishing when I started all of this, I just happened to be very well aligned for the battle that came through this electrical publications business. The Civil Service of Canada um, published their own electrical guidebooks, and they would very much like to have my guidebooks disappear so they could have a monopoly. And so they came approached me roughly a year after I took over the business and said, it's sort of a mob mentality, you know, nice little business you have there. Boy, it'd be a shame if anything were to happen to it. <laughs> you pay us a little bit of money, we will license you to continue to exist. Sounds like good fellas. It does. It's, it's like a Hollywood script or something. And uh, of course, one of the challenges I faced, Leighton, was that um, I had an elderly father that they were threatening as well. Oh, and, my goodness. I mean, on principle, you want to say, pound sand, we're not doing this. Right. But my father couldn't recover from that sort of thing. And they were trying to hit him up for over a million dollars. And he's not a wealthy man. He simply couldn't afford that. And so I, I was, I can tell you, I was actually willing to pay them the protection money, not because it was the right thing to do, but because, uh, you know, it's the government. So you sort of have to make some allowances, let's say. Right. Yeah. The challenge, Leighton, was that what they were demanding for a royalty payment was actually greater than the retail price of the book. So they were demanding a royalty that was mathematically impossible to pay, even if I desired to do so. So I had to, I had to say, I, I'm sorry, I simply cannot do that. And immediately after I'd refused, that's when all the litigations began. And thus began a, what is now a 12-year battle with waves of litigations. You've heard the word lawfare before. Yes. What I've been dealing with. They then used regulatory warfare as well, trying to blacklist my publications, trying to seize my assets. They started um, making, let's say, arranged rulings in court. So there's, there's a number of things that they started to compound. Every time we win something, they would escalate it using the power of government. That's my background on this issue, drawn into something that I certainly didn't plan, but I just happened to be pretty well aligned for. So, Gordon, I understand that uh, the book was finally re released last year, uh, but that it took about 11 years to actually get it to print and released. Uh, because it was being it was being so heavily suppressed, why why is your book, The Deep Six Diaries, being so why is it being so heavily suppressed? And and what is the what is the big secret that uh, that that they want to suppress that they don't want to come out? Well, you said big secret in, in the singular. I, I'd say it's actually more of a plural. Uh, there are okay. several issues that are all sort of joined together here. What's happening in Canada, Leighton, is that the, the Canadian civil service is operating like a sort of cartel. When I mentioned protection payments, that's just one of their lines of business. Their lines of business are mostly illegitimate. So you sort of hinted earlier in your opening that they were doing testing in the U.S. and that it wasn't really happening. That's another line of business. So it's certification fraud. People don't know this, but the Canadian civil service is actually the most long, uh, the longest term counterfeiter in Canadian history. They ran a counterfeiting operation for eight years until 2010 when they were finally caught, ironically, by the CBC. The Canadian, so, the Canadian Civil Service is counterfeiting? Yes. They were selling fake safety certifications to U.S. manufacturers for products that did not meet Canadian standard and could not be used. Right. In the 
Yeah, I read about that in the book. Right. They were bankrupting companies on both sides of the border, but because they're civil servants, Leighton, they couldn't be prosecuted. In practical terms, they were untouchable. So you've got problems upon problems. And this book, Deep Six Diaries, walks you through each of them in order, essentially how I discovered them in the order in which I discovered them with all of the evidences there. That makes it dangerous for those people who were involved in that as right. well. The Deep Six Diaries book, when it was released, uh, was released concurrent with a website, deepsixdiaries.com, mm -hmm. which had an evidence tab on it. And that evidence tab contains all the evidences referenced in the book. There's 82,000 pages of documentation there. And the idea, Leighton, was that people reading this book thinking that this, this sounds surreal. It couldn't possibly be true. That's when what I was thinking. <laughs> they can go online and look up what's referenced in the book and see it in original and judge for themselves. That's the idea. Right. When you try to throw sunlight on somebody that desperately needs things done in darkness, they're going to react poorly. And that's why they were trying to shut down these websites. They did see uh, seize one of my websites prior to Deep Six Diaries to shut down that information. They did seize uh, account information from me. They, so, they seized dollars from me. They On and on and on. Anything they could do to prevent that book from getting out. And right now, Leighton, as you probably know from you know our, our brief that we sent you, the book is actually banned right now. So you are in possession of one of the rarest books in America, my friend. It, wow. it is not available right now because of the government of Canada. Incredible. So part of the story, um, Gordon, is that the Canadian government agency doing the testing and certifying outfit called CSA Group. And and uh, many people out there will see that the seal on their on the kids' hockey helmets uh, isn't doing much much testing or certifying. And instead of doing the work, uh, they've been caught faking and testing these certifications and then selling counterfeits to enable imports into the U.S. And you say, we know this, as we've heard from a long stream of whistleblowers, of civil service insiders sending us evidence. And an Ohio court, an, an Ohio court even ruled in 2011 that CSA is guilty of conspiracy to defraud the public? Yes, with the it, this, is, this is tough stuff, but you never know it. I mean, the court did rule that way. The, again, the ruling is one of those items on our evidence tab that people can look at and verify because it's really strong language the court was using. And yet we never hear about this stuff. You know, the, the, you mentioned whistleblowers. Layton. The fact is that the civil service is badly compromised, but not every civil servant is a crook. We need to remember that. Right, of There's course. People in there. And we heard from quite a few good and decent people. Leighton, I actually don't know as I sit here and talk to you right now the number of whistleblowers we have, but it's over 11 years. It's it's a lot of people. And I would have meetings with them. It sounds like a Hollywood script again, but I'd go to drive to the edge of town in a darkened area and have a meeting with them in a divey restaurant because they didn't want to be caught talking to me. They'd send me literal brown envelopes stuffed with government documents. I mean, this is the sort of thing that was happening regularly over that period. So when I say that they've been caught falsifying documents, falsifying safety certifications, falsifying import documents, that sort of thing. We have the evidence to back it. We've heard from the people that were forced to sign this stuff. And some of it, Leighton, isn't just a matter of, I mean, look, it's safety testing. So it's it's reprehensible to start with because you're, you're putting people at risk. Right. But we have cases of what, what the court described as permanent disfiguring injury. We have fatalities. We had one tragic story of an engineer in Ohio working for CSA who actually killed himself because he couldn't handle having to falsify these certifications all the time. This is regular, it's recurring. It's just that because we're dealing with a government with endless access to treasury dollars, 
they have the resources to suppress each of these things through payouts, through grinding people through court processes, and of course with me banning books. But do the people on the American side know this is going on? And is there money changing hands or how does that, that that's one part of one piece that I didn't quite connect. Why, why would, why would the people on the American side go along with this stuff? There's a lot of money changing hands. This is all about money. Uh, CSA by itself. It's just the one little Canadian ministry or pardon me, one little Canadian agency of industry Canada brings in over a third of a billion dollars annually. Wow. It, so it's a lot of money. Like, yeah. Uh, so there are a number of ways they do this. It's not one single revenue source, all right? So I'll just walk through them briefly. Mm-hmm. The first of these is through sale of influence over Canadian law. So if oh, you- Oh, yeah. They're, the they're statute, selling statutes. They're selling statutes. It, it, you can uh, actual custom laws. So you can pay them enough money, they'll draft the law to your liking, or they'll just take your text of law and they'll enact it for you. So because CSA, a lot of people don't know that CSA actually runs legislative committees in Canada. So they can draft laws directly. They can amend laws without parliamentary votes. People don't know that. So, we didn't learn about that in law school, Gordon. <laughs> if you, Leighton, decided you were going to start a manufacturing company making widgets, all right, and you wanted to sell more of your widgets or thicken your profit margins or something like that, you could pay money to CSA. In trade, CSA would let you draft the laws that apply to your widgets, either suppressing a competitor's widgets by crafting the law so that only yours are acceptable, or mandating that your widgets have to be used in every home or every room of every home in the country, or anything like that. If you pay enough money, you can buy the votes at CSA that you need to get this thing through, and that's lucrative. If we think about a typical uh, committee at CSA, and there are hundreds of them, okay, but a typical committee has about a dozen members on it and their size restricted. So if your industry laden has say 40, 40 different companies, there are only 12 seats, writing the law that governs all 40 companies. So what ends up is a bidding war and the price gets higher and higher and higher because each of those 40 companies knows that to win the market, they have to craft the laws that govern their market. So they will spend like drunken sailors to get onto CSA's committee to craft those rules. And that's how you can thicken your margins on those widgets artificially. So this, that's, has got, this has got to be illegal. Oh, it is. It is illegal. Uh, it, save that thought. I'll get back to that. <laughs> Other things they're doing, all right? They're also doing safety testing. We talked about it a right. moment ago. Uh, they discovered that safety testing uh, doesn't really have to necessarily involve testing. They can just sell stickers, essentially. Those stickers you mentioned on the, on the hockey helmets at the back of microwave ovens. So, because nobody's watching over their shoulders. They're civil servants. So, it, the thing is that the Department of Justice and the Department of Industry, this is like a, a musical chairs with civil servants every now and then. So if you know that your colleagues actually are the prosecutors, you can get away with almost anything. And they're getting away with selling stickers, not actually doing the job. That makes a ton of money because the fact is, Leighton, that manufacturers, if you're, again, if you're going to manufacturing widgets, you're an insider. You know they're not actually doing the testing. And so you know that if it doesn't quite make the safety standards applicable at law. You can pay them enough money and you'll get a bunch of stickers as opposed to actually having to change your product and improve your standard, right? So you've got a second revenue stream there. Then they're heavily involved internationally in China in particular, but they've got offices around the world. China is their biggest, uh, their thickest margins because there's no oversight at all. 
So if you're a manufacturer again, uh, Leighton, and you want to manufacture your widgets and sell them in the United States, but you know under US law, you can't do that. Well, you can send your widgets to CSA's China operation and anything will pass in China. And there's no oversight. And so now you bear the CSA sticker and you can import legally into the US these products that do not meet any safety standards, but they're certified as fully compliant. All of these little scams, you add them all up and you're dealing with a multi-billion dollar operation. Incredible. You know, Gordon, one of the things, there's many things that are this, that are really troubling about this, um, but, you know, I can't help but think about or relate this to what happened with the COVID-19 vaccines, the way they were rushed to market, where the, and, and, and sort of the, the, the concordances, the common thread seems to be a complete and utter disregard and even a disdain for the well-being and the safety of the public that's being served by these government agencies. I mean, the, the CSC has a, has a very, very important job. Just take hockey helmets. Yes. If that helmet's not safe, someone could suffer uh, uh, a serious brain injury or even die. Uh, just, I mean, forget all the other products that go in your in your kitchen. Um, in your research, um, were you able to trace the knowledge of this stuff all the way up to the ministerial level or does it go that high? Yes, it does. But um, it, it does not just uh, through one ministry. I mentioned the musical chairs a moment ago with departments, all right? Right. The fact is, at the high end of the civil service, so the AD, assistant deputy minister or ADM, that kind of level, everybody knows it. It's an open secret. And wow. the reason why is that most ADMs, I'm generalizing, okay, but most ADMs are lifers. Um, the people even that I was dealing with in negotiations on this issue over the last 12 years uh, have been lifers as well. That is, right out of college, they get their internship somewhere in the bowels of the civil service, and then they stay there for the balance of their years. And that means they go from department to department to department, and they're guaranteed to float sometime at CSA. And by the way, one of the reasons they do that is that civil servants tend to make, on average, about 10% lower than industry average for a comparable job in the real world. Okay. But CSA patterns itself as a private company, and they can pay whatever they want, and they can send people on golfing junkets, and they live like princes. And so everybody in the civil service wants to float through CSA at least once in their careers to live the high life, at taxpayer expense without any oversight. So there's been enough of them through there that there is this common knowledge that everybody knows CSA is part of government. And I'll tell you, ladies, when the cameras are off and you talk to members of parliament or even senators, we talk to our share of them, they know that too, that they're blunt about it. CSA is a government agency masquerading as a private company. They know it, but what do they do about it? It's the body of the civil service that's rallying to protect themselves. What was the royalty then that they were trying to extort from you? They started targeting, uh, well, it, it's a book called Industrial and Commercial. So it's a right. very long, about 1100 page book for engineers, really. Right. Very, very boutique, kind of very in-depth engineering document. It, at that time, the price was $127 per book retail. They demanded a royalty of $133 per book. So that's what I meant by mathematically impossible. Now I can tell you, Leighton, that after that meeting, I had a number of negotiations with the then president of standards at CSA. A uh, lady named Bonnie Rose, who's no longer there anymore. And, and just as an aside, I actually have regard for her. She is unusual among civil servants in that she's just a walking brain. You know the kind. Yeah. She wasn't a good fit as a civil servant bureaucrat, and she didn't last very long. But in those negotiations, she gave me information, let's say, and, and, and told me in such a way as to believe it, 
that the people I was negotiating with that were demanding this mathematically impossible royalty actually believed that it was a reasonable demand. Because in their universe, all you have to do to make the royalty is triple your prices. They weren't connecting with the reality of business that if I triple my prices overnight, I'm out of business overnight. Right. See, most of these civil servants are lifers. They've never had to make payroll. They've never brought a product to market. They genuinely didn't know that what they were asking was impossible. So, you know, we know there are people that are vulnerable and we're doing our best to protect them. But remember, the adversary is the government and, and that makes it more challenging. Yes. Um, I guess one fairly obvious question that I think many people watching this might ask, Gordon, is, you know, we, ha we have uh, this, uh, this uh, man in Parliament named Pierre Polivier on whom many Canadians are, are, are staking their hopes uh, as an antidote to the Trudeau regime. Um, had you given any thought or made any efforts to try and make all of this data available to the official opposition? Now, one would think that they would be very interested in this. Uh, they seem to relish in exposing all the government's other many fold scandals. Uh, was any, was any efforts, were any efforts made in that, in that respect, or was that sort of uh, uh, an avenue that was unavailable to you? Well, the avenue was there. Um, we worked the, the situation extensively. In fact, it, we're in year number 12, as I mentioned, of litigation. Right. So began actually under the Conservative government. And so we immediately reached out to the Conservative government to help. But they were faced with that same conundrum we mentioned earlier about civil servants and the relationship between the political class and the bureaucratic class. They needed the civil servants to look good, or partly back up. They need the civil servants to make them look good. And the mm -hmm. civil not on board with Stephen Harper. And so it was a problem. The last thing they wanted was to alienate even further the civil service. So we got rebuffed repeatedly. I can tell you, we had briefings, uh, direct briefings with all the parties except the Bloc Québécois, or all the parties represented in Parliament, let's say, except the Bloc Québécois. Uh, the, the Minister for a Small Business at the time that the government targeted me was um, Maxime Bernier, uh, who you'd think would stand up for this sort of thing. Yes. Yes, he would. But, but no, again, we're dealing with a major power broker in Ottawa. The biggest power broker there is in Canada is not the public, it's the bureaucracy. Okay. One last point on this. Demographically, Canada tends to be more centre-left than centre-right. And right. probably... So yeah. in order for a Conservative government to get in, he has to have a split on the left and corral all the Conservatives on the right. And his challenge is that Eastern Canada, where most of the votes are, tends to be the most centre-left of the whole part of the country. True. So he has to really watch, you know, does he want to go against the power of the state when the state is seen as your friend by a large percentage of the electorate where he needs those right. votes? Most? Well, so, and especially when this all dates back to a time when uh, his former boss, Mr. Harper, were, was running things. So this is actually one of those rare cases when... Prime Minister Trudeau could actually authentically blame, blame Mr. Harper. He's done that many times. But at this time, it seems like he actually can do that properly, right? As you know, as far as liberals are concerned, Stephen Harper is responsible for pretty much everything that went wrong in the country and things that we didn't know about. Yeah. But right, in this instance, he actually could hit Harper's government on this. Uh, yeah. Also, of himself, yes, we've been in contact with him and repeatedly, but it hasn't been reciprocated. We'll send things, but they won't acknowledge receiving them. So we've 
this problem. Jason Kenney, for example, was the MP to deal with the matter for years uh, because I happened to be in his jurisdiction. And uh, he studiously ignored the whole thing for the entire time. So it, we're dealing with- That won't surprise those of us in Alberta who just last year had him removed as our premier. Had such high hopes for him, Leighton. I know, uh, I know. So you start to see what people are really made of when their loyalties are being tested. This has just been a really illuminating conversation, Gordon. Uh, I'm so glad that we got a chance to talk about your book, and uh, I'm going to be praying that it can it can get out into the public. Um, is there a way to do that somehow through the through the United States and to find another publishing avenue? You know, we're working on it. Uh, it is almost impossible to get removed from uh, the credit card blacklist once you're on it without a ton of money, which which I don't have. Mm-hmm. Uh, the litigation that I referenced earlier on about uh, trying to get the State Department to reclassify CSA as a government agency is actually our best bet. Uh, because if we can demonstrate that the allegation is related to uh, an unfair action, uh, we can start releasing something. So that's where my focus is right now. Frankly, we've got books in a warehouse. We can't move them. And I don't know the way uh, to actually get them into people's hands uh, legally. Uh, so right now, again, the focus is on that litigation. Well, we're going for what it's worth, we're going to put Deep Six Diaries on our reading list. We have a reading list on this show. And uh, I certainly hope that at some point people will get to read it. Uh, we have one other book that is, uh, I think, perhaps more readily available. Uh, it's maybe one that you've read. Uh, it's called Permanent Record by Edward Snowden. Uh, Mr. Snowden is the man, of course, who risked everything to expose the U.S. government's system of mass surveillance. Uh, He revealed for the first time the story of his life, including how he helped to build that system and what motivated him to try and bring it down. That's the other book besides yours that we're adding to our reading list. And uh, I certainly hope that uh, very soon your book will be available to the public because I I think that uh, when it does become available... Uh, more widely available, I think it's going to be a, a real blockbuster. Right? I mean, I think people are, I mean, this is right in the wheelhouse of what people are are suspecting uh, about our government, particularly with, you know, all of the corruption at the very highest levels. But I think people would be particularly shocked to know the extent of the, of the domestic corruption within our own civil service. What you've told us today about how influential the civil service is, I think, would be very surprising to most people who haven't read your book or listened to or or listened to your account of it. Would you agree? I would tend to agree with all of that, Leighton. We we've sort of discovering here as a group, as a society, that those who we think are in charge actually aren't in charge, yeah. and those that are in charge are the ones that are ruling over us. Yeah. And as that permeates in society, uh, I think we're we're going to be reaching a tipping point here fairly shortly, where we will see some dramatic and mostly positive changes. We're very close to that. You know, people have been under wraps for a long time, but I I think there's there's light at the end of the tunnel for persons like him, hopefully for persons like me, and I think all of us are headed to a brighter future. It just takes a little bit longer to get there. Yeah, well, I'll be hoping for the day when you're back in Canada and I can shake your hand. But if I'm ever in Texas, I'm going to look you up. Uh, Thanks again for being with us today as our special guest. It's been a real pleasure uh, having this conversation with you today on Grey Matter. Thank you so much, Leigh. Real pleasure chatting with you.